the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Let me say that some of the content that we're going to discuss in the ensuing hour might not necessarily be appropriate for younger ears. So if you have kitties about the radio, maybe busy them elsewhere. If you have a heart, maybe one that's been broken, on the topic of pornography, then this is a conversation you're going to want to stay tuned for. I say unique in addressing this topic for the first time in 26 years, not that we've never addressed the impact of pornography on hearts and lives and relationships, but I think uniquely so as we today focus specifically on the impact that pornography has on women, not uniquely from the the abusive side of things as a subject of or object of pornography, but rather women whose lives are impacted by pornography because they are consumers of same. And before you look at your radio in utter disbelief, maybe a, a bit of a lesson taught by the numbers. Women who view pornography at least once a month between the ages of 18 and 30, 76% of the U.S. population. Between 31 and 49 years old, fully 16% of American women say that they view pornography at least once a month. As you get older, between 58 and 68, or 50 and 68, that drops to 4%. But when you recognize the fact that fully 25% of married women say they watch porn at least once a month, the picture begins to emerge that the impact of pornography on lives and relationships is not singularly or unique to men, but in fact, in our modern society, is beginning to have a pretty significant impact on women as well. In fact, we know that 13 million women every month regularly visit porn sites. A good percentage of them pay for it. And, well, you just have to look at the success of the book series 50 Shades of Grey to know that women in America today are reading erotica in huge and growing numbers. Much of this has to do with cultural influence. Much of this has to do with sin. But without regard to what the motivating factor is, we know that pornography sets up a barrier between an individual and not just their God, but in their horizontal or earthly relationships. Joining me now as we tackle this topic tonight is Bernie Leslie. Bernie is an expert in Internet safety with Covenant Eyes. Covenant Eyes, by the way, is a pioneer of Internet accountability software that um, helps create family-friendly filter that restricts usage based on parental controls. And it seems, um, Bernie, as if the parental controls are not just for uh, parents setting them for the kids anymore, but even some of the parents need some control, don't they? Well, Craig, you're exactly right. Um, it, it is um, across the age barriers now. That our young kids are looking at things they shouldn't, so the filters really help. Covenant Eyes actually pioneered the concept of Internet accountability, the monitoring of what people do online, and then sending a report to an accountability partner so that it's not just that we know something's being blocked from going certain places. It's like putting a fence up, right? But 
you know, when there's a fence, someone wants to go over it, around it, under it, you know. So if we have that accountability report, we're actually bringing accountability back into our culture. And that's our ultimate goal is to have those open communications of what we're doing online and, and of course, in our real lives. And a critically aspect, uh, critically important aspect in terms of addressing the issue of pornographic addiction, because as you point out, it's one thing for the alcoholic to say, well, I didn't take a drink today, and that was only right. because the bar was closed. Yeah, if the bar had been go. open, then it might have been an entirely different story. And so having layers of accountability here, I think, is vitally important, because as some of these statistics are suggesting, this issue of addiction to pornography and the ensuing impact that it has on lives, while historically has been thought of as a problem that only men have, actually women are, are, are struggling with this in, in growing numbers. Really, it's it's amazing. I did speak uh, at a church in Lenexus, Kansas, a couple years ago. I was uh, welcomed there by a whole women's conference. Um, Dirty Girls Ministries, Crystal Renault, put on this conference for women who had had addictions and then those who wanted to help them. And it was just amazing. It was about 400 people there. Maybe 25% of them had the addiction, the females. But um, to be able to share and, and encourage them that, you know, so many, so many of them got into this through erotica, the stories, like you were saying, that, you know, it was interesting, a little romance stuff, a little heavier duty, and, it, and then it just sucked them right in. But we do need to have accountability. We, we have to have someone around us to encourage us. And, you know, it's kind of like David and Jonathan. I mean, accountability is a biblical thing, and we really do. The name Covenant Eyes comes from Job 31.1, and we really are a for-profit company, right? We pay our taxes, but we have the heart of a ministry, and we see such a need. And I'm on the phones uh, during the day as an Internet safety consultant, and I talk to a lot of young women who say, what do I do? I want to find a Christian man. How do I find one that's not a porn addict? They're literally asking us, you know, are there guys out there who aren't, you know, porn addicts? And then the more and more we're talking to these young women, they're getting into this stuff, too. So if you want to have a boyfriend, you got to send them the sex, you know, sex messages with your pictures on them. Uh, it's, it's really getting to a desperate point where parents need to step up. It doesn't matter if your kids say they need this, you know, smartphone Maybe they don't. You know, be a parent. We need to try to get a control on the ways that they are reaching out to the Internet. And this matter of the Internet and portability of same has really exacerbated this problem, hasn't it, Bernie? And I ask that question because it isn't that many years ago where to access pornography, you had to go to sort of the seedier side of town to the so-called adult bookstore that was usually dumped at the end of an industrial park or or, or perhaps down where, where some of the really ugly bars were in an old part of town. People were embarrassed. They were concerned that they might be seen or discovered and what that might do to their reputation. Today, my goodness, not only do you have accessibility at your fingertips, no matter where you're at, with a handheld device or your computer, but uh, sometimes it comes to you even when you're not looking for it. Exactly. Um, On our Covenantized website, covenantized.com, in the upper right corner, we have a blog. We have thousands of blog articles. One of them that came out um, in our last free newsletter, we have a Pure Minds Online newsletter located at the bottom of our website. You don't have to be a member to get that. It's free. But one of the articles was about a 14-year-old boy who was separated from his youth group. They're going overseas to do a mission trip. He got stuck between two middle-aged gentlemen. One of the gentlemen whipped out his iPad and watched hardcore pornography all through the flight. It was a two-and-a-half-hour flight. It was like, are you kidding, right? You know what I mean? It's, they're exposed to it no matter what. Um, but once, they're, once their brains are triggered, right, we, we have a feeling brain, the limbic center, we have a thinking brain, our prefrontal cortex, and our prefrontal cortex isn't fully developed until about 25 years old. So as we're hearing about these shootings or, you know, somebody molesting somebody else on TV, we're like, what were they thinking? Well, they really weren't. They were going on their feeling brain. 
and that's the urge for survival, the physical survival to avoid pain and the pursuit of pleasure. Our children are thinking that all this pornography, if that's their pleasure that they're seeking, and you know all the chemicals that are involved with all the releases of all the, you know, the hormones that are happening when they're, they're doing these sexual explo- exploits on uh, their phones or devices, they are way too young to be able to deal with these issues, and we need to keep them from it until we can train them enough so that their own thinking brain is going to make better decisions. And, of course, toward that end, in terms of training that thinking brain, this has really become a very dangerous, slippery slope, hasn't it? And I asked that question, Bernie, not only in terms of accessibility, as we spoke about a moment ago, mm-hmm. but the, the cultural influence that's desensitizing. I mean, I, I suppose it's not unusual historically that women have enjoyed the so-called uh, romance novels, things of this sort, but, but now we've gone from what was a, a, a simple love story to a love story that was, uh, you know, around the touch, the 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 uh, the, the, um, the corners, uh, perhaps a little bit in in light erotica. To now, what has become full on uh, pornographic uh, descriptions, yeah. and and what's most troubling is it's not just the mainstream culture that is consuming this material, but even Christian women. There was an interesting and, and yet very troubling recent survey that that ninety four percent of the women responding to this survey concerning their their habits in consumption of pornography ninety four percent of them identified as Christian, and of that group, 87% said that they consume pornography on a regular basis, and of those, uh, more than a third have read one or more of the so-called Fifty Shades books. Wow. Wow, you're right. It is, my youngest daughter is 33. It's a different world that young parents now, you know, their kids are in their teen years, we call them the internet generation. And if you have someone 12 and under, we call them digital natives. They can pick up a device and figure out what's going on. It is a whole new world. There's so many, you know, terrible things pulling at them. And all of their friends and some of the stuff that's posted on, you know, the Facebooks and all the Pinterest and things, it really is sad. We need to come together as a community, um, the believers, and we're, we're thinking of a new idea at Covenant Eyes of having a pastor of technology someone, you know, maybe the techie guy that doesn't feel where he knows how to fit in, maybe if we can start this up, and we're really considering it, training someone in each of the churches and say, hey, let us help you with your technology. Bring those devices in. We'll show you how to lock them down. Whether they're using Covenant Eyes or something else, we need to protect our children on the devices. And really, seriously, ask yourself, do they need these devices at a super young age? Uh, We really have to consider that because they've got the world at their fingertips. Well, and not only do we have to, I think, as you aptly point out, need to protect young people from the impact of all of this, but but women need to begin protecting themselves. They need to be in protecting their hearts. You know, it's interesting that it, there seems to be some justification going on here. And I suppose if you're listening right now and you have struggled as a woman with pornography, you've thought to yourself, isn't it interesting the way we will typically look at this and say how degrading it is to women, and yet women are are now becoming a growing a consumer of this product. And so what's one to do? Certainly accountability, one very critical and important issue. If you want to get more information, by the way, about Covenant Eyes, it's an easy website, covenanteyes.com. They are, again, pioneers in Internet accountability software that goes beyond just blocking but brings actual accountability into the equation. And you can check it out online at covenanteyes.com. I want to thank Bernie Leslie for being with us in that segment of the program. When we come back, Shelley Hitz will join us. She talks about a Christian woman's guide to breaking free from pornography. And as we're learning tonight, this is not just a guy's problem anymore. 
back with this important subject as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Once again, welcome back to the program. Let me reiterate, if you're tuning in a bit late, we're dealing with a particularly sensitive topic today, and yet I believe a very critical one. That is the addiction to pornography. And while certainly it's not a new topic by a long shot, as we deal with this uniquely for women, I'd just like to caution you, if you've got young ears near the radio, you might want to busy them somewhere else in the house as we uh, continue this conversation. Joining us is Shelley Hitz. She is an award-winning international best-selling author. Her new book is called A Christian Woman's Guide to Breaking Free from Pornography. And as the subtitle says, Shelley, it's not just a guy's problem. That certainly is true, and it's amazing because historically we always thought Men have a problem with this. They tend to have many triggers that go on visually. Uh, they tend to do this because there's a sense of excitement, where for women, women sex is more generally about intimacy and, and romance. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's less about the physical in some respects than it is for men, at least psychologically. And yet we're finding out that contrary to those long-held beliefs, now we're discovering that women have a growing addiction to pornography. What's contributing to this, do you think? a lot of things contributing to this, but for one thing, it's just the availability of pornography. And I had a friend that told me she was first introduced to pornography through her boyfriend. So a lot of men are introducing women to pornography, and then they're getting hooked. For me, you know, it was it was a variety of things, but I realized I had a background of sexual abuse, and there was some other unhealthy things in my background, and because of that, I think it also predisposed me to sexual addiction, and pornography just happened to be the thing that I ended up getting caught up in. Help me understand something from a women's perspective here, because, you know, typically when we talk about the way men respond to pornography, uh, a guy's brain gets engaged first. And that, that leads into sexualization of, of, of many things. But women, typically, the heart is engaged first. So is this, as you're suggesting, not just because there's broad-sped accessibility, but also maybe a sense of even desensitizing women, that now it's become so commonplace that they're kind of <laughs> surrendering and saying, well, if you can't fight it, join it? That might be part of it. You know, I, I think a lot of women get started even with romance novels or some of what's being called as, you know, erotica, where they're reading these things. And then it's kind of like one thing leads to another. And then that can lead to something more, which can lead to something more. For me, there was a period of time where my husband was traveling a lot. I was home alone a lot. And there was an emotional need. I was feeling lonely. And I can't fully explain it, but for some reason... You know, when I got caught up in the pornography, it it did something that, you know, it distracted me or it gave me that good feeling for a while that distracted me from my loneliness. So I think sometimes even our emotions as a woman can lead us into addictions, whether it's chocolate and eating and <laughs> shopping or, or something more, much more destructive. Does it also like tend to lend to a false sense of being safe? And I mean that either in a physical sense or in a heart sense, in that a woman who, say, in the past has been abused, 
Um, you never quite know in the relationship there you're engaged in, whether the husband or boyfriend, and I'm saying that way while we're not endorsing that from a Christian perspective, we're just acknowledging realities out there that growing numbers of women who identify as Christians are nevertheless having sex outside of the bonds of marriage. Is that there that sense maybe that there's a sense of safety to it? Because unlike the, the literal physical engagement with another human being in the pornographic quote-unquote relationship, you can cut it off at any time when you feel as if things are going beyond what you are emotionally prepared to deal with. You're controlling it, therefore it's more safe? I think that can be, be part of it. I think that it's that way for men or women. And for my husband and I, we, we both have had an addiction to pornography in the past. And what we found was it really had an impact on our marriage and our sexual relationship in our marriage. It's, you know, for the detriment because we've learned to satisfy ourselves independent of one another. And so it was a very dangerous place for us to be in our marriage. And I'm thankful to God at this point. And I, I'm thankful to say that we're both free from this. But, it, you know, it was a very difficult time, even in our marriage. So as women might seek it to fill an emotional void as much as men traditionally, no, not singularly, traditionally head in that direction to fill a physical void or a physical need, it, it, it quickly can get out of control, can't it? It can. And there was definitely a point where I wanted to stop and didn't feel like I could. And so just like with with men and with anyone who, get, who gets into pornography, there's a chemical reaction that happens when you... You know, look at pornography when you look at these pictures, and it, it, it does become an addiction, and your body gets used to having that chemical reaction, but then there's the shame, and there's, you know, knowing, especially as a Christian, and for me as a woman, when I was dealing with this, I mean, no one was talking about it <laughs> for women. I thought I was literally the only person on the earth that was a Christian woman that ever dealt with this, and I, I, I came to find out that I'm not, but but there, there definitely is that chemical reaction that that you get caught up in and then you have the shame and it's it's a really really difficult cycle to break and i really believe it does take the power of christ that cycle of response to the endorphins that are uh, created or released by engaging in pornography and that cycling into eventually shame and then coming back to eventually responding to the endorphins once again. That that cycle tends to be very damaging, uh, doesn't it, uh, Shelley, not only in terms of the control that it can create over a woman's life, but also I would imagine that it has to have a very detrimental impact on one's sense of, of self-worth and, and certainly on one's relationship with God. Yes, I mean, it really does. And... Thankfully, you know, I really was able to come to a point that I realized I needed help, and I, I didn't let it go forever and ever to where it was, was um, you know, was really, really ingrained. I mean, it was several, it was definitely, you know, a couple years, but but it, it's it's really difficult because you feel like it's hard to tell anyone, and so it's been interesting because I really um, sensed that God was leading me to read or to write this book after I was speaking, and and I would just barely mention a little bit about my struggle with pornography in a talk on forgiveness. And I would talk about how it was difficult for my for me to forgive myself because I had so much shame, so much regret. I knew better. How did I ever allow myself to get into this place? Stupid, stupid, stupid. You know, all these things I would say to myself and allow the enemy to say to me. 
And I, I would just say in that talk, I would say, you know what, I, I've been there, I was, you know, I was struggling with pornography, and, you know, I, I walked through these steps of even forgiving myself, and after that talk, one time, I had somebody come up to me, and she was a chaplain on her college dorm floor, and she said, Shelly, I need you to help me. She said, almost every single girl on my floor is dealing with pornography, in one way or another, whether it's an addiction or it's, they're, you know, just starting to try try it out. So I need help. What do I do? And it was after that moment, I knew I needed to write this book to just at least begin the conversation and share what has helped me. And it never fails. Almost every week I get an email from a woman or a girl around the world somewhere that's confessing to me, usually for the first time that they're dealing with this. And it's because there's so much shame. It's so difficult to to share with anyone, and yet, you know, they they feel more comfortable sharing with me because they know I've been there. Well, I think sadly, too, that cycle of shame and rejection and then repeating after a season, after a while, that's got to have not only a detrimental impact on relationships, but then, too, it has to devolve into an increased sense of, of worthlessness, doesn't it? Uh, and I ask that question, Shelley, because that sense of, well, I, I might as well just give in because I can't control it, and there's aspects of this that I secretly enjoy, even though I'm ashamed of it, and then that shame leads to more worthlessness, and of course, then it means, well, what's the point of fighting this thing? I'm never going to beat it anyway. Yeah, there's definitely definitely that cycle, and you know, it, it, it's one of one of those things that, um, you know, you can just keep going round and round and round, <laughs> and and, it, and it's really tough. It's, it's something that I think more and more people are dealing with that, you know, people aren't admitting. You know, we have the phone now where you can access stuff everywhere you can stumble upon it on any kind of you know twitter or instagram you know this stuff you know all of a sudden it's right there and it's easy to get triggered and so you know there's there's just so much of it going on and so few people talking about it so i I was just thankful that you're bringing this up and that you are addressing the issue and we're going to continue to do so in our conversation tonight with best-selling author Shelley Hitz. The book is called A Women's Guide to Breaking Free from Pornography. And as we're learning, it's not just a guy's problem. We're going to ask Don Scott Jones to join us as we come back after a brief time out, who uh, takes a look at another aspect of this troubling topic. I'm Craig Roberts, a brief time out, back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the conversation. Shelly Hitz, my guest today, author of A Christian Woman's Guide to Breaking Free from Pornography. Also joining us in the conversation is best-selling author Dawn Scott-Jones. Her book, When a Woman You Love Was Abused. And Dawn, as we pull you into our conversation tonight, uh, let me get your insight on something. Uh, one would think... For a woman who has been the victim of sexual abuse of one sort or another, that any involvement or interest or attraction to pornography, that they would be repelled by the notion. And yet, as we're learning from these alarming statistics, just the opposite seems to be true. Why is that, do you think? Well, sure. Um, you know, first of all, oftentimes in abuse, the perpetrator tells the woman, this is what people do when they love you. This is how I'm showing you that I love you. I know that's something that was told to me. So the first lie that a woman could believe is sex equals love. 
And so often when a woman, after she's a survivor, she's afraid of intimacy. She's afraid of sexual intimacy with a partner, but she still needs to fulfill that need for love and that void. And so pornography becomes a very easy, false intimacy. It becomes a partner that is safe and that she can trust and still feel loved and satisfied. And of course we know um, the dopamine and all of those great chemicals are firing. So after pornography, she can feel a sense of satisfaction or pleasure. And so, again, is very addicting. And, of course, that addiction is something that uh, not only impacts the population as a whole, but alarmingly to find out that fully 20% of Christian women say they're mm-hmm. porn addicts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, addiction is equal opportunity, and this is, um, you know, porn is kind of called the crack, the emotional crack or the sexual crack, if you will, like cocaine. One hit and you're addicted because of all of those chemicals and because the, the easy access that women have today now to pornography, you know, Men um, have struggled for years, but they, they're, they're the hunter, and they can go out and they, can get, they used to get that pornography or get that magazine or get that video where a woman would never do that. But now it can come right to her, how easy and accessible it is. And it lures her in also through the, the romantic part where many women are drug into chat rooms first, and, and they're introduced to it in, through the... the the wonderful writings and letters and emails that they get from people in these chat rooms. So the whole illusion of intimacy is very tempting and satisfying. And of course, the old adage, sex sells, and that's true in mm-hmm. both in terms of, of selling to men as well as to women. And, and I would suspect, too, as we were discussing with uh, Shelley Hitz before the break, that there is this sense of a desensitization of our culture and society today, where things that were considered embarrassing and absolutely taboo uh, barely a decade ago are now being embraced by pop culture, and even women who maybe start with, you know, an innocent quote-unquote harlequin romance novel, something of that nature, suddenly and very quickly can, can take them down that slippery slope where they move from the harlequin romance novel to reading things like Fifty Shades of Grey. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, Fifty Shades of Grey, the young girl sitting in the youth group room on the couch, you know, reading these books and, you know, all, all of those senses um, being awakened inside of them. And then all, all it takes is just one click. I go from reading something and, and feeling the excitement and, and, and some a little bit of the conviction and, and yet that lure and that adrenaline and those chemicals and that sense of, of pleasure um, is just very drawing. And unless a girl has a conviction that's alive and um, powerful, a relationship with Jesus Christ, why would she not pursue that pleasure? There, there's no reason not to. Well, but, you know, even as we're finding, sometimes when a woman even has a strong, vibrant relationship with the Lord, the seductiveness of all of this can't overtake her. And you were pointing this out, Shelley, before the break, and that is this tremendous sense of shame. And I would imagine to a certain degree, I mean, uh, for men to admit that they have a pornography addiction, while it might yet be embarrassing, it's not certainly unheard of. Nobody go, slaps their cheeks in shock of this. 
but it's still very much considered to be taboo, even as you talked about your own experience in addressing this. And so I would imagine for a woman just being able to admit to herself, let alone getting help, that she has a problem with pornography has got to be a, a terribly challenging thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's, it's very, it, I think it's a very, very lonely journey. And that's why I think my book, even though it's not selling thousands of copies like some of my other books, I get more personal emails and people reaching out to me for help from this book on this topic than any other book I've written. And I have over 35 books. It's because people are desperate for help. And yet it's such a lonely journey. And it's, it's, it's so hard to talk about it. And it is, it's just, it's, I'll, I'll share my story and people just kind of look at me like, you know, you look like the innocent one. I'm like, I know, (laughs) but you know, it's, it's, breaking all sorts of, you know, thing, you know, just the stereotypes that you once thought about pornography. Mm-hmm. And, and Dawn, from your perspective, engaging in this, you know, certainly many men try to kind of uh, dismiss it as not being that big of a deal. I mean, after all, I, I, th- there's no victim here, quote unquote. It's not like I'm going out and having an affair with another woman behind my wife's back. Th- there's all of those uh, justifications that sure. typically take place. But for a woman who's trying to justify this, uh, are they fooling themselves in the sense that, well, maybe for them, this just seemed to be a, a nice escape. It's something safe, particularly if they've come from a, an abusive relationship or have experienced abuse in the past because pornography and the consumption thereof is something that they are fully in control of, that there's a false sense of not only intimacy here, but a false sense of safety behind this. And as a result, they they may potentially be opening themselves up to, to greater dangers. Sure. Well, um, first of all, let's go back to what you said, that that rationalization. Um, all addictions have rationalization in it. So your your addiction will lie to you, it will speak to you, and it will tell you things like, um, if this is good for you because you're learning. This will make your love life more interesting. Um, this is one way that you can find out what's really going on in the world and what other people struggle with. Or, yes, you're not hurting anyone, or this will help you... Um, learn what to do when when you in your marriage or when you are with a man so you know your diction is always going to rationalize and always find ways and then what we don't anticipate is the addictive nature and let's just call it to what it is if there's a stronghold of sin the enemy really gets if he gets a foothold he can get a stronghold and women get trapped in this as do men but the nature of the addiction is so powerful, then they think they're controlling it when to find out it's really controlling them. And willpower alone isn't going to get it done when then all of a sudden you decide you want to end it. End it. Now your body, your brain, your emotion, those images are there for life. It's very hard to smash and destroy those uh, images of pornography and erotica. And so all of a sudden this woman discovers, man, I'm in bondage to this. Um, if I could just share a quick story. I remember when, uh, this is probably 12 years ago now, maybe 15, a woman came into my office, um, my pastoral office, to talk with me, and she opened up to me about having a sexual addiction, that she was watching videos, DVDs, and that she was doing it on a regular basis three to four times a week, and that it just really had her bound. And I just stared at her, as a pastor, I'm looking at her like she's from another country, and I said, "What? 
well, no. I said, women don't really have addictions to sex. I said, you, you, you must be needing love. Or I tried to figure it out, you know, and say it's really more of an emotional thing probably because women aren't wired that way. I was so naive, my own self, about the addiction. And she and I talked about it later. She said, do you remember how you looked at me? And I said, yeah, I, you were the first person I heard of that was really just addicted to the, the pornography and the pleasure endorphin or um, dopamines and those chemicals and that that false intimacy and relationship, that toxic relationship that she developed with sexuality and pornography. You know, when we come back, I want to dive down into an important issue here to, to hopefully help women listening right now walk away with, with some sense of what next direction, and, and that is this matter of stepping away from the addiction of pornography. And as you alluded to, uh, Dawn, uh, even when a woman has the best intentions of doing that, uh, turning off the Internet, okay, we can do that, but what do you do when you're surrounded by the images? What do you do when it's not a question of you seeking out pornography, but the sense that pornography is seeking you out? Our visit today with best-selling author Shelley Hintz, author of A Christian Women's Guide to Breaking Free from Pornography, and Dawn Scott-Jones with us, award-winning author, her best-selling book, When a Woman You Love Was Abused. A brief time out, back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Well, when you tune in today, you probably didn't anticipate we would be talking about pornography addiction and the way women struggle with it, but that's exactly what we've been doing. Best-selling author Shelley Hintz. The book is called The Christian Women's Guide to Breaking Free from Pornography. Dawn Scott-Jones, another best-selling author, also with us tonight, author of When a Woman You Love Was Abused. In the time that remains, I'd like to have both of you share from your, your experience in dealing with the issue and counseling women on how to get through the issue in terms of once an individual recognizes, you know what, this is becoming a problem or this is headed to be a problem, first steps to find hope and healing and eventually freedom from the bondage of pornography. And, and Shelly, let me start first from you since this is, was part of your life story. When a woman recognizes, wow, I think I have an issue here. I'm recognizing the guilt and shame that this is bringing up for me. How do you start the process to stop it? Yeah, it's, you know, it's different for every person, and there's no one formula, but what I, I normally recommend is that for them to find at least one trusted person that they can talk to and they can share it with. It's like the illustration of mold. Mold grows best in the darkness, but when you bring mold out to the light, it dies. And many times when we confess our sins one to another, just someone trusted, you know, you don't want to go to someone that you that's just going to tell everyone and gossip about you, but you want to go to someone that's trusted that can be an accountability partner. So when I first realized I need help, I cannot keep doing this, I told my husband, and then I asked, I said, can I go to Christian counseling? Because I, I can't, I don't know what to do. And so I went to counseling, I had an accountability partner as well, a prayer partner, we would meet every week. And I started really the hard steps of facing some of my painful past. And I, I, I needed to heal from the abuse of my past. I needed to offer forgiveness to the people that had abused me, to the things that had happened in the past. I needed to ask God's forgiveness and then forgive myself. So forgiveness is, is another big step towards you know freedom. But for, for everyone, it's different. I also use the trigger calendar. So I would have a calendar and I would mark down the things that immediately proceeded any time I would give in to the temptation. And for me, I started to notice trends. 
I started to notice things that triggered me. And so you, once you start to notice those things, then you can do something about it. And so, you know, that was another really helpful part of my process. Don, from your perspective, one of the big issues, as I alluded to before the break, is it's one thing to go seeking pornography out. These days, it comes and finds you, whether it's a pop-up on the Internet at a site that you weren't anticipating it, showing up in an email, TV program that happens to be on. How do you go about dealing with that, similar to the alcoholic who says, I can't have liquor in the house? How do you go about taking the pornography out of the house or, or, or reducing the number of potential exposures when our society today is so infiltrated by it? Yeah, that's a difficult one, isn't it? It's it's much like the the person who's overweight and they have to redevelop a relationship, a healthy relationship with food because you're not going to live your life without food. Well, if a person is married, they have to have a, a healthy relationship with sexual intimacy. And so discerning and deciding what is healthy, what is God-given, what is beautiful, what is right, and then literally purging and destroying, to the best of your ability, everything that is in your home or that's on your computer, the best the way that you can, eliminating it from your eyesight, from your view, perhaps using software today like the software Covenant Eyes and different um, software management tools that help filter those pop-ups from your computer, finding ways to block the stations off of television that are unhealthy and toxic and sinful, and um, but also having a, a daily renewing of the mind. Um, I have an um, ABCD that I work with with people overcoming any addiction, and um, thank you so much, Shelley, for what you just said, because that's part of it. A, admit and ask for help. I need help. B, uh, we break the generational sin and the curses. Sometimes begin in an inventory. You find out what's in my background, what's in my past. C, commit to cleansing your life and um, destroying all the things that could drag you down. And D, deciding each day to stay in recovery. You know, relapse is a part of recovery. Don't be freaked out or blown away if, if you do slip back. But as we say in recovery, um, you lapse before you relapse. So remember to do everything every day that helps you grow in your recovery. Block your mind, renew your mind, learn, challenge your lies. Those lies that, like we talked about a moment ago, those lies will talk to you. And that rationalization, that voice becomes very strong when you're trying to purge yourself from an addiction of any kind. When you're in a marriage relationship and... and, and Shelley, you hinted to this earlier, how oftentimes women get introduced to pornography by their husband, mm -hmm. and you're in a relationship where your husband is, with some regularity, consuming pornography. How, how important is it for the two of you to work on this addiction together? You know, it was interesting because at the time that I was dealing with my addiction, I don't think I fully realized that my husband was also dealing with a pornography addiction. And so as I, you know admitting this to him, you know, he's admitted even publicly on other interviews before, so he wouldn't mind me saying this, that he really feels that he opened the door to the enemy in that area for mm -hmm. our home, and, you know, that he, he feels some sense of responsibility. I take responsibility for my own sin, but there was, there was you know, there was definitely a stronghold in our home, and, and because it affects your intimacy and your sexual relationship, I do believe it is important to talk about, and to talk through and it's taken years for us to really come to a place of healing in our relationship but we are very open about talking about it and it, 
and and we weren't at first. I mean, it's taken time, you know, to really get to that point. But but it, I, I do think it is important. Any last words of insight that you can offer, Dawn, for women that are struggling with this? Well, I think hope always needs to be extended because in the natural, we know this is a difficult journey. But when we yield this healing process to Jesus, we know that he makes all things new. And so I would say that there's great hope that healing can come. But do it, start it, and do it now because it won't go away all by itself. It's going to take intentionality to to rid yourself and the freedom and the beautiful sexual intimacy that you can have with a spouse. Don't let the enemy rob you from that. And Shelley, you talked about your own sense of victory in in dealing with this issue. Um, some words of hope for women that are there right now and, and feel as if there's just no way they're going to break free. Yeah, you know, you you may feel right now that there is no hope and that there's no possible way, but our, our God is the God of the impossible. He is the one that is able to do what we cannot do. And there's a quote by St. Theophan Recluse that says, take one feeble step towards God and he will take a thousand towards you. All I can say is it is possible with Christ and that if you need someone to walk alongside you, please feel free to contact me. You can contact me through my website, shellyhits.com and and I would, I would be happy to, to, you know, talk with you through this journey, but, but, there, but there is hope. Some good resources available to you, again, on the web at ShellyHitsHitz.com. You can also order online a copy of her best-selling book, A Christian Woman's Guide to Breaking Free from Pornography. Also, our thanks to Dawn Scott-Jones, her bestseller, When a Woman You Love Was Abused. Information on the web at uh, DawnScottJones.com. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to kfax.com. That's kfax.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time around, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.